Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to Global Payments fourth quarter and full year 2022 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will open the lines for questions and answers. If you should require operator assistance during the call, please press star, then zero. And as a reminder, today's conference will be recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to your host, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations, Winnie Smith. Please go ahead. Good morning, and welcome to Global Payments' fourth quarter and full year 2022 conference call. Our earnings release and the slides that accompany this call can be found on the Investor Relations area of our website at www.globalpayments.com. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made by management during today's conference call contain forward-looking statements about, among other matters, expected operating and financial results and the proposed transaction between Global Payments and Evo Payments. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors, including the impact of economic conditions on our future operations that could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. Certain risk factors inherent in our business are set forth in filings with the SEC, including our most recent 10K and subsequent filings. We caution you not to place undue reliance on these statements. Forward-looking statements during this call speak only as of the date of this call, and we undertake no obligation to update them. We will also be referring to several non-GAAP financial measures, which we believe are more reflective of our ongoing performance. For a full reconciliation of the non-GAAP financial measures discussed in this call to the most comparable GAAP measure, in accordance with SEC regulations, please see our press release furnished as an exhibit to our Form 8K filed this morning and our supplemental materials available on the Investor Relations section of our website. Joining me on the call are Jeff Sloan, CEO, Cameron Brady, President and COO, and Josh Whipple, Senior Executive Vice President and CFO. Now, I'll turn the call over to Jeff. Thanks, Winnie. We delivered strong results for the fourth quarter and calendar 2022 in what was an unprecedented year by nearly any measure with heightened worldwide macroeconomic uncertainties caused by persistent inflation, dramatically rising interest rates, significant foreign exchange volatility, a war in Europe, and lingering impacts from the pandemic early in the period. Yet the consumer remained resilient throughout the year, and we enabled a record over 64 billion transactions, culminating in a successful holiday season with multiple all-time high peak days. We delivered record results for 2022. While it's early in the new year, internal metrics indicate more of the same. Where we have seen any discernible change, it is in some macro weakness in limited geographies like the United Kingdom and parts of Asia Pacific. Having said that, those items already are reflected in our fourth quarter results, and our guidance assumes no meaningful change in operating environments for 2023. We are pleased with our preliminary January results. For the fourth quarter, our merchant business delivered 9% adjusted net revenue growth, excluding dispositions. And our issuer segment achieved 5% adjusted net revenue growth, each on a foreign exchange neutral basis. Importantly, our core issuer business again generated 
sequential financial and operating improvement, consistent with our expectations and the best performance since our merger with TSIS in 2019. For the full year, our performance was consistent with our September 2021 cycle guidance despite multiple black swan disruptions that emerged in 2022. Our merchant business delivered 13% adjusted net revenue growth, excluding dispositions. And our issuer business generated 5% growth, each on a constant currency basis. For calendar 2022, we produced 10% total adjusted net revenue growth, again, excluding dispositions, expanded margins by 200 basis points, and generated 17% adjusted earnings per share growth on an FX neutral basis. All right line with our raise cycle guidance from 18 months ago despite all the incremental challenges of the macroeconomic environment. At our investor conference, we outlined our four-pillared strategy and focus on a simpler model and more geared toward our corporate customers with enhanced growth and margin prospects. We detailed our capital allocation priorities that balance building the leading technology-enabled software-driven payments business worldwide with efficient return of capital and we highlighted our commitment to advancing our strategic partnerships with leading global technology companies, investors, and share-gaining financial institutions to further expand our competitive mode. We anticipate closing the acquisition of EVO payments no later than the end of this quarter. With EVO, we reinforce our position as the preeminent payments technology company with extensive scale and unmatched global reach. EVO enhances our target addressable markets, increases our leadership in integrated payments, expands our presence in new and provides further scale in existing geographies, and augments our B2B software and payments solutions. We look forward to welcoming EVO's valued team members to the global payments family. We also remain on track to close the divestiture of NetSpend's consumer portfolio by the end of the current quarter, a key element of our strategic pivot. We believe that this transaction will best position NetSpend's consumer business for future success, and we wish its team members the best of luck in the future. Additionally, we have reached an agreement to sell our gaming solutions business to Parthenon Capital Partners for $415 million. This transaction, much like the sale of NetSpend B2C, is consistent with our efforts to refine our portfolio toward our core corporate customers in a way from consumer-centric businesses. These three transactions further our strategic objectives, simplify our businesses, and provide us with enhanced confidence in our growth and margin targets. We expect each of them to close by the end of March, providing us with core businesses from which to grow for many years to come. Our unique ability to provide differentiated vertical market software, payments, and other technology solutions continues to resonate with customers. Our vertical market segment again delivered low double-digit growth in the fourth quarter with our QSR and school solutions businesses notable standouts. We are delighted to announce today that both the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Braves have chosen Global Payments to serve as their official commerce technology provider for State Farm Arena and Truist Park. The Hawks and the Braves rank in comprehensive RFPs to select their partner for the future. And they chose global payments because of our ability to deliver distinctive cloud-based software and payment solutions 
to create enhanced frictionless experiences that increase fan engagement, drive loyalty, provide cloud-based data, and improve operational efficiency. We are proud to be the commerce technology partner for all of Georgia's major professional sports and entertainment venues, and our pipeline in this channel remains robust. In addition to the Hawks and the Braves takeaways, Xenial produced record revenue in the fourth quarter of 2022. Recent wins also include A&W Restaurants, Jack in the Box, and Panda Express. What do these new customers all have in common such that they chose us in recent competitive takeaways? In short, consumer expectations for the sports and entertainment and QSR channels are high, and the pace of technological change in those markets plays uniquely to our competitive strengths. Our technologies are winning every day in the marketplace, with more than 51,000 restaurants in over 65 countries choosing our purpose-built ecosystems to deliver positive experiences back to their customers. Other standouts in our merchant business for the fourth quarter include our integrated and worldwide e-commerce and omnichannel businesses, which both again delivered mid-teens growth in the period. We are excited to combine the best of these businesses with Evo as our integration activities commence in the near term. In addition, we're now live with our acquiring relationship with Google across North America on the heels of the success of our initial launch in Asia Pacific in 2021. Turning to our issuer business, we produced the best performance we have experienced since the TSIS merger in 2019 in the fourth quarter of 2022. We ended last year with a record 816 million traditional accounts on file, an increase of 15 million AOS sequentially, driven by double-digit account growth with industry-leading customers as our strategy of aligning with market share winners shows gains. Our commercial card business continued to perform well, with transactions growing 20% in the fourth quarter as cross-border and domestic corporate travel continued its recovery trajectory. We lead in the issuer market with cutting-edge technologies, worldwide scale, terrific customer service, and a partnership mentality. While the issuing business has always been, and we expect will always remain, highly competitive, those partners seeking to compete digitally know where they need to invest to be competitive in the marketplace. Much like in the merchant business, issuing businesses in growth challenge markets without the wherewithal to make cloud-centric technology investments for the digital future will be increasingly challenged to compete. Thankfully, that's not our target market. We are very pleased to announce that TSIS signed a multi-year extension with Bank of America, one of our largest customers in a relationship that spans consumer and commercial car portfolios in North America and the United Kingdom. We also extended our successful partnership with Deutsche Bank, our largest client in the DATCH region, into the next decade as TSIS remains their partner of choice for scheme-branded car portfolios across international brands, including Deutsche Bank and Postbank. Also good timing in light of our pending entry into the acquiring business in Germany through Evo. Other recent multi-year extensions with longstanding customers include PNC for its commercial business. Our durable relationships with some of the most complex and sophisticated institutions globally speak to our competitiveness well into the remainder of this decade. We currently have nine letters of intent with institutions worldwide, nearly all of which were achieved through a competitive RFP process. 
This includes a recent LOI for new business with TSIS in Mexico, well-timed in relation to EVO, and a competitive takeaway conducted via RFP. Another 12 of our recent LOIs, including five competitive takeaways, have gone to contract since the beginning of 2022, providing further future growth opportunities. We recently entered the Swedish market through a contract we executed with Entercard during the quarter, spanning both its consumer and commercial portfolios. And we've got a contract with Scotia Chile portfolio, which is being added to our agreement with Scotiabank, a partnership that spans multiple markets across the Americas. This marks our second win in Chile, following the long-term agreement we reached with market-leading retailer Senko Sud, signed earlier this year. Our issuer conversion pipeline stands at a record post-merger of over 75 million accounts, providing further confidence of our growth trajectory well into the future. We are pleased to report that we have now reached business agreement on a head of terms with Keisha Bank, one of the largest issuing institutions across Europe. Post-implementation, we expect to become one of the largest debit technology providers in Europe. We are the beneficiaries of technological innovation, continued share shift, and market share gains. This is just one example, while we've been providing market-leading technologies for buy now, pay later initiatives for decades, we continue to innovate and deliver installment products as BNPL demand grows. This includes launching a successful BNPL program with one of our long-standing partners, NetWest, to aid customers with longer-term purchases and special events. This product was designed to enable payments to be easily tracked and incorporates the robust fraud protections provided by FCA-regulated purchases. Other issuer highlights include a new partnership with MasterCard, leveraging Ethica consumer clarity to improve the dispute resolution process and digital experiences for more than 25 million cardholders in the U.S. and the U.K. We also are collaborating with FinTech Software as a Service platform, Mambu, to provide next-generation capabilities for financial services customers across a number of strategic use cases, including credit cards, BMPL, prepaid cards, and a range of deposits and lending solutions. Finally, we've now combined the TSIS commercial card business, Mineral Tree, and NetSpend's B2B assets into a single unified B2B organization within the issuer solutions business as we focus on driving cross-selling opportunities. Across Mineral Tree and our core TSIS virtual card capabilities, total spend grew more than 50% in 2022 over the prior year as we remain focused on bringing the industry's best virtual card capabilities to our FIs, enabling B2B transactions, mobile wallet provisioning, and online travel capabilities. Mineral Tree had a terrific fourth quarter of 2022 with growth in excess of 30% and it is well positioned for gains heading into 2023. Josh? Thanks, Jeff. We are pleased with our strong financial performance in the fourth quarter and for the full year, which highlights the durability of our business model. Starting with the results for the full year 2022, we delivered adjusted net revenue of $8.09 billion, an increase of 7% from the prior year on a constant currency basis. Excluding the impact of dispositions, adjusted net revenue increased 10% on a constant currency basis. Adjusted operating margin for the full year improved 190 basis points to 
The net result was adjusted earnings per share of $9.32, an increase of 17% on a constant currency basis compared to the full year 2021, which includes the impact of the exit of our Russia business during the second quarter. These results were consistent with our guidance expectations and with our September 2021 cycle guidance from our investor conference, despite all the challenges Jeff highlighted earlier. Moving to the fourth quarter results, we delivered adjusted net revenue of $2.02 billion, an increase of 4.4% from the same period in the prior year on a constant currency basis. Excluding the impact of dispositions, adjusted net revenue increased 7% on a constant currency basis. Adjusted operating margin for the quarter increased 240 basis points to 44.4%. The net result was adjusted earnings per share of $2.42, an increase of 17% on a constant currency basis compared to the same period in 2021. Taking a closer look at performance by segment, Merchant Solutions achieved adjusted net revenue of $1.41 billion for the fourth quarter, reflecting constant currency growth of 9%, excluding dispositions. This performance was led by the ongoing strength of our U.S. and technology-enabled businesses. We delivered an adjusted operating margin of 48.4% in the segment, an increase of 20 basis points year-on-year as we continue to benefit from the underlying strength of our business mix. We saw double-digit growth across a number of our U.S. businesses in the quarter, including our integrated channel, vertical markets portfolio, POS solutions, and HCM and payroll businesses, while our worldwide e-commerce and omnichannel businesses also delivered growth in the mid-teens on a constant currency basis this quarter. This strength was partially offset by ongoing headwinds from adverse foreign currency exchange rates, along with macro softness in limited geographies like the UK and continued COVID-related restrictions in parts of Asia-Pacific. We are pleased with the fundamental performance of our issuer solutions business in the fourth quarter. Notably, core issuer grew 5% this quarter, excluding the impact of FX, which was an 80 basis point acceleration sequentially and positions us well heading into 2023. As Jeff highlighted, Traditional accounts on file increased by 15 million sequentially, driven primarily by strong account growth from our major consumer portfolio customers. Transactions also grew high single digits compared to the fourth quarter of 2021, with strong contributions coming from commercial card transactions, which were up roughly 20% for the quarter. Our total issuer business, including B2B, delivered 501 million in adjusted net revenue also a 5% improvement on a constant currency basis for the same period in 2021, excluding the impact of our pay card business, which faced headwinds from both employment trends due to the macro environment and the lapping of pandemic subsidies, issuer solutions grew 5.3% on a constant currency basis. Finally, we delivered adjusted operating margins of 48.3%, an increase of 560 basis points from the prior year fueled by our accelerated growth and focus on driving efficiencies in the business. From a cash flow standpoint, 
we produced strong adjusted free cash flow for the quarter of $723 million and $2.3 billion for the year, consistent with our target to convert roughly 100% of adjusted earnings into available cash, excluding the impact of the expired federal research and development tax credit. We invested $152 million in capital expenditures during the quarter and $616 million for the year, in line with our expectations. Further, this quarter, we repurchased approximately $7.3 million of our shares for approximately $790 million. And for the full year, we repurchased 23.3 million shares for $2.9 billion, or approximately 8% of our shares outstanding. Our balance sheet remains healthy, and our leverage position was 3.2 times on a net debt basis at quarter end. We made further progress on our strategic priorities during the fourth quarter and remain on track to close our acquisition of EVO payments and the divestiture of NetSpend's consumer assets by the end of the quarter. As Jeff mentioned, we also reached an agreement to sell our gaming business to Parthenon Capital Partners. We are pleased to have received HSR approval for this transaction and have submitted all other required regulatory filings. We also expect to close the gaming solutions divestiture by the end of this quarter. As a result, our business mix as of April 1 of this year will reflect our future state composition for three quarters of 2023 and beyond. We have ample financial flexibility, including our $5.75 billion revolving credit facility, which is currently undrawn. And following the completion of all of these transactions, we expect our net leverage to be approximately 3.75 times below our prior estimates. We continue to expect to return to current leverage levels by year-end 2023 while maintaining existing investment-grade ratings. We are pleased with how our business is positioned as we enter 2023 and the resulting financial outlook for the year. We currently expect reported adjusted net revenue to range from $8.575 billion to $8.675 billion, reflecting growth of 6% to 7% over 2022. We are forecasting annual adjusted operating margin to expand by up to 120 basis points for 2023. This is above our cycle guidance for margin expansion of 50 to 75 basis points annually, driven by benefits to our business mix from our ongoing shift towards technology enablement and the divestiture of net spend, partially offset by the lower margin profile of EVO prior to full synergy realization. To provide color at the segment level, we expect our merchant segment to report adjusted net revenue growth of roughly 15% to 16% for the full year. This includes growth of approximately 9% to 10%, excluding the impact of the acquisition of EVO payments and dispositions. We expect the EVO payments acquisition to contribute approximately $475 million of adjusted net revenue in calendar 2023, which assumes the transaction closes at the end of the current quarter. We expect more than 100 basis points of adjusted operating margin expansion from the existing global payments merchant business, excluding dispositions, in 2023, ahead of our cycle guide. This expansion will be more than offset beginning in the second quarter with the absorption of the lower margin profile of EVO payments. 
We expect this impact will be mitigated by synergy realization as the year progresses. As a result, we are forecasting margin expansion in Q1, contraction in the middle of the year, and then margin expansion in Q4 as synergies ramp for our merchant business. The net result will be a modest decline in our total merchant business reported adjusted operating margin for the year. Moving to Assure Solutions, we expect to deliver adjusted net revenue growth in the 5% range, including net spends, B2B assets for the full year compared to 2022, as we benefit from our strongest conversion pipeline since the TSIS merger. Specifically, we expect core issuer to grow roughly 5% and for mineral tree and net spends B2B businesses to grow low double digits. We anticipate adjusted operating margin for the issuer business to expand up to 60 basis points as we continue to benefit from operating leverage in the business as growth continues to accelerate, offset somewhat by faster growth in our lower margin B2B businesses. Finally, while the disposition of our consumer solutions business is naturally expected to be a headwind for the full year, this transaction enhances the overall growth and adjusted operating margin profile of the business going forward. In terms of quarterly phasing, there are several items to know. First, while we expect foreign exchange rates to be roughly neutral for the full year, we anticipate the currency headwind to adjusted net revenue of up to 200 basis points in the first quarter and a headwind of up to 100 basis points in the second quarter. Second, we expect the timing of our EVO payments acquisition and the dispositions of net spend consumer and gaming to naturally impact quarterly growth rates during the year. We anticipate the impact of the disposition of the net spend consumer business to be offset for the most part by the addition of EVO which we expect to close at the end of the first quarter. Given the impacts of acquisitions and divestitures, as well as foreign exchange rates on our expectations for 2023, we have provided greater detail regarding our adjusted net revenue, adjusted operating margin, and adjusted earnings per share assumptions for the year and by quarter in our slides posted today on our website. Moving to a couple of non-operating items, we currently expect net interest expense to be roughly $540 million, and for adjusted effective tax rate to be in the range of 19% to 19.5% for the full year. We also expect our capital expenditures to be around $630 million in 2023, consistent with our long-term targets. We anticipate adjusted free cash flow to again be in a comparable range of 100% of adjusted earnings per share in 2023. For modeling purposes, we have assumed excess cash is used to pay down indebtedness in 2023 until we return to our current leverage levels towards the end of the year with minimal share repurchases until then. Putting it all together, we expect adjusted earnings per share for the full year to be in the range of $10.25 to $10.37 reflecting growth of 10% to 11% over 2022. Excluding dispositions, adjusted earnings per share growth would have been 15% to 16% for 2023. Finally, we anticipate and assume a stable worldwide macro backdrop throughout the calendar year in 2023 
reflecting the current environment. And with that, I'll turn the call back over to Jeff. Thanks, Josh. I could not be more proud of all that we accomplished in 2022, despite the incremental challenges we faced throughout the year. These achievements have given us increased confidence in the accelerated growth trajectory we outlined at our investor conference. Simply put, we built a better and more durable business model. Our expectations for 2023 are for a return to normalcy with businesses across our markets delivering at typical financial and operating levels. The consumer remains resilient with anticipated spending patterns reflected in our recent results and our guidance. The imminent closing of the acquisition of Evo and the sales of Nespen B2C and gaming mean that three quarters of calendar 2023 will reflect results of the businesses that we intend to manage well into the future. We've completed the strategic pivot set forth in September 2021, and we are very much the better for it. Winnie? Thanks, Jeff. Before we begin our question and answer session, I'd like to ask everyone to limit their questions to one with one follow-up to accommodate everyone in the queue. Thank you. Operator, we will now go to questions. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star two if you'd like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. Our first question comes from the line of Darren Peller with Wolf Research. Please proceed with your question. Guys, thanks. Nice results. Um, but look, just still a lot of moving parts. So, Jeff, my first question would just be if you can help us understand. When you look past, you know, all these, the gaming divestiture, the Evo deal, uh, in the merchant business, Number one, I guess, if you can give us a sense of what the best, some of the main moving parts were in the quarter, again, in terms of the, some of the verticals you're operating in and the software-centric businesses, the tech-enabled areas, uh, a little bit more granularity. But more importantly, when you look beyond this, um, what is this growth profile of this business, again, including Evo, including the divestiture of gaming, and, and how do we think about merchant going forward for the next year or two? Yeah, Darren, Jeff, I'll start and I ask Cameron, to, you know, to jump in too. So I think we've described that over the last, you know, number of calls. We're going to end up with, in the aggregate, if you step back, a merchant business that's three-quarters of the revenue of the company and an issuer in B2B business that's 25% of the revenue of the, uh, of the company. That's reflected in our September 21 cycle guidance expectations and, if anything, makes us feel better um, about achieving those, uh, those expectations. That was covered in our press release in our prepared remarks this morning where excluding dispositions on an FX neutral basis, we actually hit those targets, despite all the incremental challenges and uncertainties, you know, of the markets that uh, that we're in. I'd also say that we expect all the transactions that uh, we've announced previously and now gaming today to close by the end of this quarter. Um, so three quarters of 2023, um, as I said in my prepared remarks, I expect to reflect um, the businesses that we um, will have for many years, you know, in the future yeah. uh, and the future to come. Um, I also touched on, I'll turn to camera in a second, but I also touched on some of the pieces that have generated uh, fantastic growth, the 9% that we announced this morning in Merchant, the 13%, you know, for the year, 9% for the quarter, the 9% volume growth. Um, uh, I announced in my prepared remarks some of the pieces that added into that, um, namely our integrated business, which again, again grew into the mid-teens, our e-com and omni businesses, which again grew into the, mean, uh, the mid-teens, meaningfully in excess of the Visa, MasterCard kind of e-com reporting, and of course meaningfully in excess of what PayPal, you know, announced uh, last night in terms of their volumes 
uh, and the uh, and the like. Um, so I, I think those growth drivers that we've described historically, our last investor conference and probably the last four or five years of calls in our merchant business, I expect to continue to uh, to drive the business forward. Cameron, you want to provide more detail on merchant figures? Yeah, Darren, I'm, I'm happy to. Maybe I'll start with the quarter, and then I'll spend a little bit of time on the outlook as well. So for the quarter, as Jeff highlighted, I think we're pretty pleased with the overall growth we saw in the business. Obviously, that was led by the U.S. business, which, again, produced double-digit uh, double-digit growth in the quarter. Jeff highlighted a couple of, I think, the outstanding businesses from a performance perspective, but I'd also note, you know, our point-of-sale, ATM, and payroll businesses also grew in the double digits. Our vertical market business grew in the double digits. So our U.S. business overall was double digits for the quarter. North America in total, including Canada, was right at 10%, exactly what we did in Q3. So, again, I think good strength across kind of the U.S. and North American businesses. Where we saw a little bit of headwind was from our Asian and European businesses, we do see some macro headwinds in the U.K. I think we talked about that in our prepared remarks. And Asia continues to be impacted by COVID-related restrictions, although as we get early into 2023, we're starting to see those lift. And January results obviously reflect a lifting of those restrictions, which is encouraging to see heading into the year. So uh, really, our performance in Q4 was largely the same as Q3, but for international businesses. They were a point of tailwind in Q3, and they were a point of headwind in Q4. I think when you look at the business overall, fundamentally, you know, 9% constant currency volume growth, I think, compares very favorably against what you saw from Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Fiserv. So I think we feel very good about the momentum and the underlying fundamental performance of the merchant business as we head into 2023. As we talked about this morning, our highlights uh, for 2023 from a growth perspective start with global payments sort of core business at 9 to 10%. Again, relatively consistent with the cycle guidance that we provided for that business reflecting a macro environment that we expect to be largely consistent with kind of what we've seen exiting 2022. So fundamentally, I think we feel really good about how the business is performing and the, the component parts and the technology-enabled aspects of the business that we expect to drive growth are continuing to do just that. Yeah, and we see that trend, as I said, just to finish off on that point uh, from Cameron there. As I said in the prepare marks, we saw the same trends continue into January. So we're pleased with the preliminary results. Uh, that we have for January. We're pleased with the metrics, you know, that we have into January and into February. Um, so we really haven't seen, as Cameron just alluded to, really haven't seen much of a change. I know Bank of America came out this morning with some comments about a healthy consumer. So we continue to be pleased with where we are. That's great. That's great. One quick follow-up on the issuer side. You, you know, you obviously have uh, – you showed the acceleration we hoped for for the fourth quarter, which is great. I think you have 75 million accounts on file that are scheduled to be able to come on over the course of the year and more maybe in 24. Uh, with Kaisha, if I remember correctly. And so just thinking about the guidance for issuer, it seems like it's roughly, I think it was 45 to 5.5%, if I'm not mistaken. I, you know, between all the tailwinds, could it have been a little higher? Is that conservative? Can you just touch on that? Thanks, guys. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, so look, I think we're really pleased with where the issuer business is, and it's really issuer and, uh, and B2B now. Um, so, look, I would tell you that in the back half of calendar 2022, for issuer in particular, we exceeded our expectations almost every month and certainly for the two quarters. So we've got our fingers crossed that we'll do better and then what, you know, that it'll accelerate, you know, further. Um, as I mentioned a minute ago, the metrics do generate preliminary results in January, and metrics and issuer into February also look very healthy. So, look, we're hopeful we can do better than that. I would say, though, that uh, the fourth quarter of 22 itself uh, represented 80 basis points of sequential acceleration in core issuer just from Q3, Darren, into Q4, you know, sequentially um, in terms of revenue. So, look, I'm hopeful we can all look back, at, look back in 23 
uh, and say that was a low bar, but you're talking about a business that um, had its best performance in the month of December, that it had since the merger, its best performance in the quarter, that it had since the merger. Darren will be delighted to talk to you in May about how good the performance is in the first quarter, uh, you know, if that'll, uh, if that'll continue. But I, I think we've got uh, multiple tailwinds in that business. We're really excited about where it is. Obviously, part of our goal is to get B2B larger. So as Josh said in his prepared marks, you know, B2B X pay card added about 60, 70 basis points, you know, to the growth rate. Uh, we'd obviously like to get that bigger, and that's part of our plan to get to mid to high, you know, over time, single digits in that business. But that's reflected in our guide today, you know, up to 5.5% growth. So I think we've got every um, uh, uh, avenue of opportunity available to continue to build on the sequential acceleration that we saw uh, in calendar 2022. And hopefully, Jeremy can look back, you know, later in the year and laugh about how easy it was. All right. That's great to hear. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of James Fawcett with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Great, thanks. Um, Want to touch quickly on on the expense side and, and expectations for for margin expansion. Wonder if you can just give a little more detail there, particularly around like labor and just wondering if wage pressures have largely subsided at this point, and is that part of what you're expecting to help contribute to to margin expansion? Yeah, James, it's Jeff. I'll start and I ask Josh to, to jump into kind of at a macro level. I'll give you a little bit more of the, the micro de uh, detail. So, look, our job is to manage the business. Uh, wage inflation, rent inflation, that's part of the operating company. Um, our job is not to blame that for misses. Our job is to absorb that and move on. Uh, and I think that's what we've been able to do, not just in the fourth quarter of the guide, but <laughs> over, the last, uh, uh, over the last number of years. I certainly would say, just speaking for us, um, that the employment market has changed. Um, I would say, as you've seen, the tech layoffs come from other folks, you know, around the, um, uh, around the country, you know, and around the world. There's no doubt there's been a change in perspective. I wouldn't say, though, that's changed the wage inflation expectations um, of people in our company um, or in the market, you know, more broadly valued team members or valued team members. And, you know, we, we need to be and we are market competitive. The last time I looked, which admittedly, James, you know, was probably a little bit ago, I think headcount in tech in our company was up 10% versus 19, and comp was up, you know, similarly or even a little bit um, or even a little bit more. As I mentioned a minute ago, our job is to manage those numbers, absorb them, and still uh, move on, which is kind of what we've done. So um, uh, ongoing wage inflation is reflected in our expectations um, for margin expansion this year. It was reflected in our actual results for margin expansion um, last year, uh, and obviously we offset that with good growth. Uh, we offset it with leverage and synergies. Uh, and everything else. Josh, you want to be more specific um, on some of the margin stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, James, as I said in, in my prepared remarks, that we expect, you know, margins to expand approximately 120 basis points um, in, in 2023, which is, you know, if you think about our cycle guide of 50 to 75 basis points, this is, a, this is ahead of our cycle guide. And we expect to see, you know, outsized margin expansion in Q1 of approximately, you know, 200 basis points, which is similar to the levels that, that we saw, you know, in Q4. And then we expect to see more normalized expansion of, of 100 basis points to the balance of the year. And I would say that the primary driver of, of the benefits of this margin expansion is really, you know, a business mix shift toward technology enablement um, in the divestiture of the net spend, which we had talked about, which um, we expect to be partially offset by the lower margin profile of EVO um, before we start to go ahead and realize, you know, synergies. So uh, that's a little bit more color as it relates to the margin outlook for 2023. Really appreciate that. And then, you know, you guys are obviously basing your, your outlook on kind of relatively stable macro environment. 
I guess I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't try to pressure test that a little bit. You know, if we look at some of the segments, um, whether in your exposure, whether it be to SMB and e-commerce, we've heard kind of mixed um, feedback recently from, from other companies in the space. Can you just give a little bit of, of insight into what you're seeing in SMB or you're seeing points of weakness, et cetera, and similarly on e-commerce? Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'll start, James, and I'll ask Cameron to give uh, more detail. So I would just say, as we said in our prepared remarks, look, the fourth quarter, and Cameron said this, in certain of our markets, the United Kingdom, to Asia, Pacific, they moved from a tailwind to a headwind, and I think a lot of that is uh, macroeconomic related, uh, related. Some of that, obviously, is COVID, as Cameron alluded to, you know, kind of coming in and out. I mentioned before that uh, January uh, preliminary results are favorable um, and that we see those metrics kind of trending and continuing, so that doesn't appear to shift it from the fourth quarter. But the point I was trying to make in my prepared remarks, uh, James, is whatever macro disruption we've kind of seen from higher rates, FX, you know, COVID, whatever you want to call it, UK, already in our results, you know, from the fourth quarter, and certainly are in our results from January, uh, and guide, uh, you know, and guide our expectations. So I would say that's kind of already in the, you know, already in the cake, uh, 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 so to speak, as we think about kind of where we are. Cameron, you want to be a little bit more detailed on SMB and mix? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is relative stability across, you know, the SMB markets that we target in our vertical market businesses and our merchant business overall. And, you know, the best example I can probably provide is just where we stand as it relates to booking and new sales trends, kind of exiting 2022, heading into 2023, because I think that's a good barometer as to where we see the health of that overall market. Believe it or not, we had our best sales month of the year in our U.S. merchant business in December, and it was our second best all time. So I think from that perspective, we're seeing very good momentum across new sales, which I think is a good, uh, obviously a good canary in the coal mine for what we anticipate in 2023. We had a record payroll sales month in December, and we continue to see near 20% bookings growth in our vertical market businesses, again, all targeted largely towards the SMB segments of the market here in the U.S. by and large. Ecom and Omni continues to produce really good results, as we highlighted on the call, mid-teens growth again yet this quarter. We continue to benefit, I think, from digitization trends that obviously help blend the physical and virtual world that I think, again, we're uniquely positioned to solve those complexities for our merchant customers, and we see great adoption of those capabilities from our merchants in virtually all markets around the globe in which we're operating today. So, look, I think we're fairly, you know, confident as we head into 2023 to the guide that we provided today. Obviously, macro can evolve over the course of the year. Uh, I don't think we're assuming perfect macro. We didn't see perfect macro in Q4, as Jeff highlighted. So I think some of that is obviously reflected in the guide today. I think the guide doesn't assume it gets meaningfully worse, nor does it assume it gets meaningfully better from where we are. And I think, we, again, we feel confident in our ability to deliver on the results that we forecasted uh, in, in our call earlier this morning. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jason Kupferberg with Bank of America. Please proceed with your question. Good morning, guys. Thanks. So we're talking about 9 to 10% organic growth in merchant, 45 to 55 and a half in issuer. I, I just want to make sure I understand slide 10 where you pull together some of the, the pieces here. I see the divestiture adjustment there, but I don't see anything explicitly talking about the EVO acquisition. So you, you show me to nine here. So that, I guess, is essentially the organic overall. I, I, I'm just a little confused that we don't see the adjustment for, for EVO. Yeah, Jason, Jeff, so I'll start. So we start our gap guide, which is the first row, and then we've got our normal gap adjustments, which is the second row, the normal adjustments to get adjusted net revenue. That's what we'll report. 
to 6 to 7%. We said currency was roughly neutral. The truth is it's a 20 basis point headwind. We're just going to absorb that. We didn't think calling that out and trying to back out 20 basis points based on what we know is, is really worth anyone's time. Our job is to manage those things. The reason we call it net divestiture is that's net of EVO. So as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, net spend B2C and EVO are roughly similar in size. They're going to close, our expectation is, on around the same day. So there's no timing discontinuity of those of those things. So those offset more or less, I'd say there's a little bit of leakage. So there might be something like 50, 60 basis points of leakage on the sale of net spend consumer relative to the acquisition of EVO. But then remember, we were forced to exit the Russia business April 29th, um, Jason, of last year. So we have overlap, you know, there for a period. Uh, and then we obviously also announced uh, today from a revenue point of the sale of gaming, which is earnings neutral, but obviously revenue dilutive. So the net effect of that is minus 1.7. If you had a lot together, the acquisition of Evo, the sale of Netspend Consumer, the forced divestiture of Russia, the sale of gaming, those net to minus 1.7. So if you have back currency and you have back the net effect, which is why it says net there on, on slide 10, you get to the eight to nine, which to your point, when we call it core here, that's our view of what the core business is really doing. If you want to take that to earnings, and Josh actually put this in his quote and press release, um, uh, if you back out the divestiture, because it's not our, our cycle guide doesn't include divestitures, if you back that out, core earnings growth would have been 15 to 16%. That's not what we're guiding to, because that's not what we're going to report. But the 8 to 9 right. correlates to the 15 to 16. Then if you say, well, what about Evo's run rate of expense synergies, because we only get one to two points of accretion this year, because we only own it for nine-twelfths of the year. But if you look at our guide from August 1st, there's another 3% of accretion to EPS at full run rate, incremental three, at full run rate uh, phase in a full expense synergies, which is from August 1st of last year. You put that in, and we're actually at 17 to 20 earnings guide. So the way we think about it, Jason, is eight to nine is the run rate of what the core is doing. We're not guiding to that because we're going to report what we're going to report, which is what pages 7, 8, 9 do, what our press release does. We don't want any confusion. But for those who are interested in, well, what's really going on? What's the core revenue growth rate of the company? Well, there it is. It's eight to nine. What's the core earnings growth rate of the company? It's 15 to 16, and with full phase in EVO synergies, it's 17 to 20. So right on top again, and Josh already said it's 120 on the margin. So right on top again of our cycle guide, you know, despite all the uncertainties of the world. Okay, understood. Um, and then just as a follow-up, I know the primary use of the balance sheet this year is to pay down debt, but, but, but do you potentially see room to do deals if something particularly interesting pops up, um, and then just a quick housekeeping thing. Can you just clarify how much interest income benefit you expect this year from the, the seller financing uh, on the, on the next spend side? Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, you know, our primary focus this year is, is to go ahead and pay down debt. And, and so, you know, we're currently uh, three and a quarter times levered, you know, today um, with the, uh, once we close, EVO will be about 3.75 times levered. Um, and then we'll, we'll focus on paying down debt to the balance for the balance of the year, and we expect to get back to our current leverage levels um, at the end of the year. If you think about um, you know interest income, it's approximately you know 75 million uh, for the year. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Brian Keen with Deutsche Bank. Please proceed with your question. Hi guys, good morning and, and congrats on the uh the solid results. Jeff wanted to ask about yields. You know, a lot of chatter on on looking at the merchant side. 
if you look at your volumes, they've you know they they look very favorably versus peers. On yields, you guys are about flat. Others are showing you know large increases. Can you just give some comments on how you think about yields and yields going forward in the merchant business? Yeah, Brian, it's Cameron. Maybe I'll jump in and I'll ask Jeff to, to add any other additional comments he would like to. So, look, I, I would just say our philosophy around pricing really hasn't changed very much. You know, we do want to ensure we're getting paid fairly and appropriately for the level of service and capabilities we're providing to our customers, and our pricing strategies are, say, are, are generally aligned with this. You know, we're not really positioning ourselves to be the low-cost provider in the market. I think we're price competitive. But obviously, we strive to differentiate ourselves based on our capabilities and the service that we deliver to the customers that, that we have the benefit of, of serving in the marketplace. So like everybody else, as we talked about earlier on this call, I mean, we, we have uh, inflationary pressures that we have to absorb around wage, you know, goods, services, et cetera. And obviously, we've reflected that in pricing plans kind of accordingly. But I would say to your point, you know, our volume vote continues to track relatively consistently with our overall revenue growth. and our spreads then have remained relatively consistent. I would say over time, we continue to expect to see spreads overall increase as we continue to pivot towards more technology enablement in the business, as we continue to scale our point of sale business, our vertical market businesses continue to grow, Ecom and Omni continues to be a tailwind for the growth. All those businesses generally have higher spreads because we're selling more technology, obviously, than sort of traditional merchant acquiring in general. So I think that there's a lot of tailwinds around our our spreads as, as we move forward in time, but we've been fairly, you know, I would say sanguine as it relates to our pricing strategies as we've been able to generate, you know, good revenue growth in the business on the back of really solid fundamental volume growth across the globe. Got it. Great. And just on uh, on some of the renewals, the larger renewals, you know, I guess the worry always is on a renewal basis, you'll you'll have to take uh, you know significant kind of discounts to renew those businesses in a competitive environment. Jeff, uh, Jeff or Cameron, obviously, could you just talk a little bit about the the renewal cycle? Because um, it sounded like with B of A and others, you you signed quite a bit of business. Just thinking about pricing there. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I think what you said is accurate. So. Um, look, B of A is one of our largest customers. They just renewed for a multi-year period. Um, that renewal started January 1st, you know, this year, and it's in our guidance, right? So our 5% at the midpoint, 45 to 5.5, you know, on the page, you know, reflects all that. So, you know, we're growing, uh, and I would say generally, you know, growing right through those things. So I think that really hasn't, you know, that really hasn't changed. What has changed in the issuer business, very similar to Cameron described, I think in response to Jason's, uh, Jason's comments, we're leading with technology, right? So if it's not, most of the RPs we get now are cloud-centric, and I think if you don't have a cloud-centric, cloud-native solution, then I don't think all the pricing in the world is not really going to move, you know, the, uh, you know, the needle there. So if you think about what we announced today with B of A, Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Post, Deutsche Post, by the way, is the takeaway. In Europe, double the size, doubles the size of our business in Germany, well-timed with Evo, which obviously that closing is imminent, but they're in Germany on the acquiring side. Um, uh, and, we, of course, we announced, I think Tesis is already in Mexico, but probably our biggest new customer in Mexico and LOI. That was a competitive takeaway from one of our um, uh, you know, one of our uh, one of our peers, um, we're very excited about that too. Those are RFPs. Those are all competitive, competitive takeaways. So you have to be competitive on price. But I would say leading with technology in the issuer business has become table stakes. So if you're not cloud cloud centric, 
build a partner like we do in AWS, I think it's very difficult to compete. So I think the answer to your question, you know, at the end of the day, Brian, is, yeah, B of A, uh, PNC, you know, all these other things, the city renewal uh, from a year ago on the commercial side, uh, the recent win in, uh, you know, in Mexico and everything else we're seeing is in the fact that we accelerated 80 basis points sequentially uh, in the fourth quarter versus the third, and our expectation is for more growth and more acceleration in 2023. Uh, and the way our math works in issuer is the way it's worked forever in the merchant business. You know, if you give uh, an X percent discount over a five-year term, you pretty much, with volume growth, surpass that within the first 18 months of doing it in the first place. And that's been our experience in merchant predates me. I'm sad to say I only go back 30 years, so maybe it's, uh, I can't speak for the 70s uh, and the 80s, but predates me in merchant, and certainly um, that's been my experience on the on the issuer side. Cameron, you want to comment on merchant? No, the only thing I was going to add to that, Brian, as it relates to renewals in, in issuer, it's, it's a little bit like the merchant business in that we're not trying to be all things to all people. We target very specific segments of the market, and we're really targeting winners in the market. Those issuers who are growing, they're acquiring more portfolios, they see good organic growth from a card deployment perspective in their business today. So you can afford to give, to some degree, those discounts on renewals because you're going to grow through them over a short period of time, to Jeff's point. So it speaks to a little bit around how we position the issuer business in the marketplace, the target market for us from a growth perspective. And again, the organizations we like to partner with, those that are winning in the marketplace and give us the opportunity to grow through any sort of discount we may have to provide on a renewal over time. And look, it's not like the Braves, the Hawks, the Falcons, you know, the stuff, the United stuff we announced today with the states. Like those are all RFP too, RFPs too. Those are RFPs with existing providers. Those are RFPs with, you know, new fintech entrants. Yeah, we're winning those too. It's not those guys that know how to run RFPs at the NFL, the NBA, you know, MLS, right, et cetera. So I would say what we're leading with is technology and that stuff sells. If you don't care about the quality of tech and the quality of the service, the quality of support, as Cameron said, you probably will look elsewhere. Got it. Very helpful. Thanks, Gus. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Our next question comes from Lina Vasu Goville with KBW. Please proceed with your question. Hi. Thanks for taking my question. Um, my first question is just on the macro and the Evo business. I guess could you talk a little bit about the defensiveness of the book of business that you're acquiring with the Evo, and to the extent macro does slow down, how would you? Um, how would your outlook on the accretion change that, if at all? But Sue, it's Cameron. I'll start, and I'll ask Jeff to jump in. I, I think what we like about the Evo portfolio overall is their exposure to faster growth markets around the globe. So obviously, I think Evo, part of the strategy that they've pursued, and it's one that's consistent with us, is to have those exposures to geographies with strong secular growth trends, obviously where we see good favorable macro environments as it relates to card adoption in digitization of payments over time, notwithstanding what the underlying macro environment in those markets may be. So I think we feel, obviously, that our guide for EVO today, that we provided today, which is around $475 million for 2023 for three quarters of the year, which run rates to about, you know, 630, 635, something like that, obviously, I think it reflects, you know, a, a pretty consistent view of the macro environment globally that we have here at Global Payments but obviously does to some degree benefit from the fact that they are in secular growth markets that obviously create, you know, tailwinds and good opportunities for us to continue to grow over longer periods of time. So, yes, you may see a little bit of macro softness in some of these markets, but, again, the strong underlying secular growth trends more than offset that, and I think that's leave us well positioned to see good growth in the Evo business year over year, apple to apples, you know, for 2023 as well as kind of the years, uh, years beyond. Yeah, I mean, to that point, uh, Batsu, as Josh says, prepare remarks. 
that 435 number, which is like 630, whatever the math is, for the full year uh, reflects double-digit growth over at Evo, uh, period over period. So that's that number ready. Then on your earnings question, um, what we showed today uh, was consistent with what we said on August 1st is really no change, that 1% to 2% of accretion for nine-twelfths of the year for Evo. If you fully phased in, as I said, in a response, I think, to James's question, if you fully phased in um, the uh, synergies from Evo, uh, you'd get to 4 to 5%, which basically offsets completely the NASP and B2C consumer disposition. That's what we guided to on August 1st, the 22 of us. said nothing's changed. Thank you very much. And just my quick follow-up was on issuer. I know you got a lot of questions on that already, but just high level, if you think about, you know, what's your medium-term guide or cycle guide for that business was sort of in the mid-single digits, and it seems we're trending towards the low end now for a couple of years. Can you help us think, is it the commercial portfolio that's still weighing on it or something beyond that? And is this sort of the more sustainable growth rate going forward? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take that, Basu, and Josh can jump in. So, you know, look, our cycle guide for that business um, has been, I think, thesis was two, four to six. You know, the good news is, you know, in our guide, we go up to five and a half, right, today. So we have four and a half to five and a half. Obviously, five is in the midpoint. Five is in the midpoint of four to six also. But notice the four and a half to five and a half relative to the four to six historical cycle guide. So I think that's good news. I think the difference in that business is really twofold. One, as I mentioned in response to Brian's question, um, I think the cloud centricity and the advent of new technology in business, look, we wouldn't have won the deal in Mexico. I don't think we would have won, oh, I know we wouldn't have won Kaisha Bank. And the other things we described, um, if we weren't cloud centric and cloud native in that business, which is obviously what we've been working on since our announcement um, in August of 2020 with, uh, with AWS. So the first thing I think it's changed is um, uh, what people are buying, which is really technology, and look, price is always an issue, but I think, as I mentioned a minute ago, and Cameron did too, I think we're always price competitive. That's kind of point number one. Point number two, obviously, is the mix with B2B assets that we made the pivot on uh, with Mineral Tree in September of uh, 2021, and now with elements of net spend uh, B2B. And I think what we said in the back half of last year, Vasu, is that should, over time, and now I'm talking about um, uh, in, including B2B, right? That's kind of a new, you know, a new item. That takes you from the four to six, um, and it's going to take you higher to the six um, as B2B becomes a bigger point. As I think Josh said in his prepared remarks today, uh, excluding pay card, which is more macro-sensitive, it had, you know, uh, COVID subsidies in it for employment. If you back that out, B2B added 60 bips to the core. So if the core is growing five, I think we just said it was growing five, you know, in the fourth quarter. If the core is growing five and you're adding 60 bips, now you're close to six, and as those mixes change and as we burn through the pipeline, you're going to get that mid to mid to high, which obviously is an enhancement with B2B over the traditional four to six. So the high end of our guy right now is five and a half. That's higher than five. We hope obviously that continues um, over uh, over time. But, you know, the business is in a very healthy place. As I said, my prepared remarks, we have record after record um, during the peak, uh, in particular in our issuer business. Um, and I don't see any signs, you know, currently um, of our expectations changing. Great, thank you for the call. That was very helpful. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, our last question this morning will come from the line of Will Nance with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. Hey guys, uh, appreciate you taking the question. Uh, Jeff, I just wanted to ask a follow-up on the earlier question on kind of the run rate growth as you guys are exiting in the year. I mean, I'm kind of looking at slide nine at the seven to eight percent growth. Uh, or on a segment basis, kind of nine to ten standalone GPN and uh, or standalone merchant and mid single digits on issuer. I guess just how do you kind of bridge, you know, what the sum product of those two growth rates gets you towards sort of the low double digit uh, cycle guide on top line, 
and kind of what needs to improve from here to kind of get to those numbers. Thanks. Yeah, so what I would say is um, our cycle guide, let's just start with that, Will, and just work in reverse. So our cycle guide of low double digits includes M&A in it, you know, for example, um, on the revenue side as well as the expense side, capital deployment has always been a part. Uh, and what we've said historically, Will, even before 21, probably going back to 15 and 18, um, is that M&A, for example, can add up to a couple hundred basis points of revenue uh, in any given period, and capital deployment generally has two to three points kind of of earnings growth um, and has historically for our company, whether it's buybacks or M&A um, or, uh, or anything else. So that's the, the overall generality. Then if you go to your question on pages uh, 9 and 10, so what we're trying to get at is we only have uh, three-quarters of EVO, uh, in uh, in 2023, obviously we have a disposition coming in 2023. Our cycle guide doesn't assume we're selling 10% of the revenue of the company, uh, which is what's in the disposition. So we tried to back that out to give you a better sense of the uh, of the eight to nine. Um, then obviously the exit period also has a currency assumption, as I mentioned a minute ago, and there's a bit of a currency headwind, you know, over the year. So I think the answer to your question is as we accelerate. Uh, merger integration with Evo, we expect to see revenue acceleration, or a 125 will is just an expense number. So as we integrate Evo uh, toward the end of the year, um, as we look at revenue opportunities uh, when it closes uh, beyond expense opportunities, if you add those one to two points, which is back to our cycle guide um, over the last number of cycles, you're exiting the year at eight to nine on page nine. Obviously, there's a bit of a currency thing there, seven to eight, add one to two points. Um, just on Evo, uh, just on Evo alone, and you're going to get to double digits of revenue. I mentioned a minute ago in response um, to uh, Jason's question that on earnings, X dispositions this year were 15 to 16, Floyd phase and Evo were 17 to 19. So I think we're kind of at the earnings number uh, with a full year effective Evo X the disposition, um, uh, and I think we're within uh, shouting distance on the uh, on the revenue side. Then lastly, I would say we kind of alluded to this in the investor conference. The shifting business mix on the issuer business toward more B2B. I just mentioned a minute ago in response to Vasu's question, um, our four and a half to five and a half with five in the middle, um, I think is right in line with what we said historically, but obviously that five and a half is toward the high end of six. So if historically we would have said four to six, well, here it is five and a half. Uh, and obviously it was a lower number uh, in 21 and uh, for most of 22, although we ended up at the year at five. As that mix continues to shift, we see another 50, 60 basis points coming from B2B as the winds continue to roll in. Um, from things like Keisha Bank, et cetera, uh, that business should accelerate. Now you're on top of, you know, 1011, uh, which is our cycle guide with M&A in it. So I think we'll, exiting this year, we're kind of right on track um, to be where we would like to be from a cycle, kind of boy, a cycle guide point of view. I'd also say, as we said both in a press release and our prepared remarks today, we hit the side for calendar 22. Let's not lose sight of that. Constant currency neutral uh, and X disposition. So I think we're right you know, we want, we want to be despite the, all the uncertainties in the current macro environment. Got it. Appreciate all the detail there. So, so I guess that's M&A, make shift towards B2B, and maybe some core acceleration in the issuer business. That's, that's very helpful. Appreciate all the details in the slide deck, by the way. It's very clear. I, very quick follow-up. On the gaming business, could you just provide any details on the contribution of that business to uh, 2022 results, just so we have a clean number there? Yeah, I can I can give you a little bit of, of color there, uh, Will. It's Cameron. The the gaming business does about a hundred million dollars a year or so, um, and I think we we sold that business at around kind of an eight times multiple level, seven and a half, eight times, and so give you a sense of sort of the EBITDA contribution that it would deliver. So, as we look at 2023, we'll have one quarter of the business, so about 25 million in revenue. You can see that highlighted on page nine of our disclosures today. 
and then we'll lose about 75-ish million plus of, of revenue kind of relative to what we had in 2022 from that business. Got it. Very helpful. Appreciate you taking the questions, guys. Yep. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. Well, on behalf of Global Payments, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning. Have a great day. Thank you. This concludes today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.